bow before the Lord. Uh, Lord God, we come before you now. May we see you high and lifted up as Isaiah did, Lord. May we uh, just understand that you are a holy God. We are a sinful, imperfect people, and we need desperately the blood of Jesus applied to our life to have a relationship with you. And we'll hear about that today, Lord. We pray that if there's anybody within the sound of our voices today that, that needs uh, that blood applied to their life, that today would be their day of salvation. Lord, for the rest of us, we pray that we would just give you praise and, and undying thanks because of what you've done for us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, please grab one of these um, uh, connection cards. They're a little blue card in the pew back in front of you, all right? And especially if you're a first or second time guest, we would love to know you're worshiping with us today. Uh, the rest of us have an opportunity to grab one of these prayer request cards and fill that out. You can either put it in the offering plate here in a moment, or you can uh, take it to the Connection Center, okay? And that's right out uh, as you leave these doors, just veer to the left and you'll see the Connection Center over there, all right? Uh, let's uh, sing a song that we've... Uh, learn recently that reminds us of what God has done for us. This is our God. This is who He is. This is our God. This is what He does. Remember those walls that we call sin and shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape, but he came and he died and he rose, those walls are wrong now. Remember those giants we called death and grave, they were like mountains that stood in our way, but he came. This is our God, this is who He is, He loves us. This is our God, this is what He does, He saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God, King Jesus. Remember that fear that took our breath away, a face so weak that we could barely pray, but he heard every word, every whisper. Now those altars in the He did, he did, who paid for 
sins. Nobody but Jesus who pulled me out of that pit. He did, he did, who paid for all of our sins. Nobody but Jesus who rescued me from that grave. Yahweh, Yahweh, who gets the glory and praise. Nobody but Jesus who rescued me from that grave. Yahweh, Yahweh, who gets the glory and praise. Nobody but Him. This is our God. This is what He is. He just a moment. Um, how many have been to a Sunday night Lord's Supper service? Many of you have. Uh, one of my favorite times of worship is, is one of those times where one of our musicians uh, plays the song, and I sit right down there, and I'm, I'm reading the lyrics as, as we, not singing, just, just reading. And sometimes when, when I'm just reading those lyrics, something will pop out at me, that it has never popped out before, even though I've sung it a hundred times. And uh, we're asking you to maybe have that experience today. I'm going to ask Debbie to play the first couple of verses of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Look for a couple of words. Uh, one of the words that you're probably not familiar with in the last 200 years is, is the word um, Ebenezer. This is a Hebrew word that means stone of help. More than a thousand years before Christ, the prophet Samuel set up a stone as a monument, as a reminder that God had miraculously saved the Israelites from the Philistines. He proclaimed, till now the Lord has helped us. He wanted Israel to remember that because they had humbled themselves and repented of their disobedience before God, he had rescued them. The other word we're looking for is interposed. Like the disobedient uh, uh, Israelites, we too are prone to wonder, as the song says, away from God. Hundreds of times in the Old Testament, God saved His people from physical death, but through Christ, He saves us from spiritual death. How? Christ rescued us from danger, again what the song says. He interposed, He inserted His precious blood between our sin and a holy God. And then after those two verses... Uh, let's respond to our fount of every blessing with verse 3, and that's another word uh, with a sense of constrained, compelled, uh, how, how compelled we are to give Him thanks for the grace that He so freely bestows upon us. So let's pray. Lord God, as our ushers come and we take the offering today, Lord, may our hearts be compelled to give You praise, to give You thanks for what You've so graciously done for us on the cross. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
of the shed blood of Jesus. By the way, there are many churches around the world who wouldn't sing that. You know this, right? They would say, well, that's, that's just grotesque to be talking about shed blood. Well, if we don't talk about shed blood, we're not talking about Jesus. And if we don't talk about Jesus, we're not talking about salvation. Amen? And this next song reminds us of that. He is the Lamb of God that took the place that we should have been in. Lamb of God in my place.
Let's bow our heads and quiet our hearts to receive God's word today. Lord God, we just come before you now as your humble servants, and we want to open your word and understand what it means that you took our place on that cross. Had that not happened, we'd have no hope. Lord, we thank you for your shed blood. We just pray that you be with our pastor and give him the words to say so that we can adequately understand the great sacrifice you made on our behalf. And Lord, if there's anybody who that light bulb comes on for the first time today, that they would reach out by faith and receive you as Savior. For the rest of us, Lord, we pray that we would spend a lifetime giving you thanks for what you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. I don't think the music, the words, and all this morning could have possibly set a better foundation for what you're going to hear this morning. Uh, Praise the Lord. We plan and we pray and we seek to provide music words uh, that are going to reflect the thematic structure of what you're hearing preached from the Word of God. So, Hebrews chapter 1. The Bible says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe By the power of his word, or the word of his power, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." The scriptures are designed through the power of the Holy Spirit of God to put Jesus on display so that we love him more, so that we trust him fully, so that we walk with him more closely and follow him in absolute obedience. So the writer is proving the point that Jesus is superior to the prophets. Many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us through his son. So the writer has talked about his divine person, and we've spent a good bit of time unpacking heir of all things, agent of creation, radiance of the glory of God, exact imprint of his image, meaning in essence he is equal to the Father, co-essential, co-eternal, co-effulgent with the Father. And then last week we saw in the midst of this world, topsy-turvy, what's going on? It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is sustaining and upholding all things. How does gravity work? The power of the Word of God is the only way, right? He doesn't uphold it with pulleys, with contraptions. He upholds the world and you by His divine Word. So, He has been exalted, 
He's been extolled as the heir of all things, exalted as the one who made the worlds. We marvel at his divine essence, radiant glory, perfect expression of divine image. And if that's not enough, we are told that he upholds all things by the word of his power. So at this point, our hearts should be throbbing, thinking of how this text puts Jesus on display. And that's how we open the sermon, right? The scripture is designed to put Christ on display through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word. So, our minds should soar with lofty thoughts about the Lord Jesus Christ. As the writer ends this glorious description, and some of you are wanting to move off this description because this will be the third sermon on it, but please understand it's important. It's important for you to understand what's going on in the text and why these words are so vitally important. But he now focuses his attention on the incarnation of Christ. As you see these words, after making purification for sins, he is telling you something else that Christ either does or has done. Before, he tells you he upholds all things by the word of his power. That's what he does. But in this text, he's telling you what Christ has accomplished for sinners. And it, it could not have been accomplished without the incarnation. Now, as you read this, here's the point. Here's what we need to understand as we're walking through this original outline on the majesty and glory of the Son of God. And that's this. He is the one who made purification for sins. See it on the text. See it in the pages of Scripture. After making purification for sins. Now there's nothing explicit about priesthood in that word, right? Not, not extrapolated out for us at this point. We see the word purification. Let that sink into your mind. After making purification, what does this mean? Why is it in the Bible? You understand the one who created the worlds, all the ages holds all things together, is the one who made purification for sins. Put this in your mind. The God of eternity is the one who made purification for sins. As we're thinking of this, I would, I would, I would submit to you that him saying making purification for sins is almost like a teaser. You don't hear an explanation of how he did this at this point. You don't hear anything about the sacrifice, the death, the priesthood, the law, <clears throat> the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's a teaser. So it's a signpost for you to understand that this is going to be talked about in depth in the book of Hebrews. It actually is going to be the major theme of, of chapters 7 through 10. What it means for him to make purification for sins. It is such a strong point that he made purification and sat down, that if you just flip over to chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 1, this text I would call a preacher's dream. Chapter 8, verse 1, listen to this. Now the point in which we are saying is this. That's good for a preacher, isn't it? That we're making the point, and the writer says the point we're trying to make, and listen to it, we have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, that the Lord set up, not man. Here we see the unfolding 
of what it means for him to make purification. Not in a tabernacle on earth, not in a temple on earth, made repeatedly by multiple uh, high priests throughout infinity for years and years and years, but one who did it one time in the heavenly places, purification for sin, and sat down. Nothing, something that no priest from the earth could ever do, Jesus Christ did that for us. So we arrive at this description of what Christ has done. Now the word purification means to cleanse. It means to wash in order to clean. It's language that comes straight to us from the priesthood and the sacrificial system. You stay where you are, but the only other time the exact word is used in the New Testament is found in 2 Peter 1.9. Listen to the word of the Lord and how it is explained or shared at this point. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was once cleansed from his former sins. That is the word, cleansed. The construction of the phrase is important. After making purification for sins, and in the Greek language, it is the middle voice. In other words, the arrangement is important. It means this, that Jesus made purification through himself for us. He didn't, he's not making purification for his own sin. He had none. You understand, the middle voice is important because he's the acting agent himself who actually is the one making the purification for you. He himself did this. By making purification for sin, the writer is communicating that the Son of God provided atonement for our sins. It's tied. The word purification is tied to the law. It's tied to the sacrificial system. And it's tied to the priestly order. Let me just give you, whet your appetite a little bit for this. I can't give you all of them because it would take too long. But listen to Exodus chapter 29. Exodus 29 verse 35. If you don't have time, just listen. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days shall you ordain them. And every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also you shall purify the altar when you make the atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. If you just move your eyes to chapter 30, verse 10. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generation. It is most holy to the Lord. So, there's this ongoing, if we went through Leviticus, the priestly order, if we went through Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, <clears throat> even in Numbers, you're going to see the priestly order making sacrifice repeatedly for the sins of the people. Chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews. For he entered in once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, securing our eternal redemption. All right. So, chapter 9. Again, 
For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but to heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer him repeatedly, himself repeatedly, as the priest enters the holy place every year with the blood of his own, not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by his sacrifice. Chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Do y'all hear that? Those sacrifices offered ad nauseum could never fully atone for sin. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have the consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You ought to be thankful for Jesus this morning in looking at those verses. So the Son's once for all sacrifice cleanses the sins of those who believe in Him. Chapter 10, verse 2. No longer do we have a consciousness of sin. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're not aware that you're a sinner. What it means is that you are free from the stain of guilt that defiled you before God. You are free from that guilt. That was never removed under the Old Testament economy. So, this language is everywhere in the Old Testament. The need for purification. Have you ever stopped and thought about how many things were purified or the requirements of the law for everything to be purified more explicitly with blood it's not just the mercy seat in Exodus it's not just the altar that was sprinkled with blood it was everything in the tabernacle that was sprinkled with blood to express a purpose of making purification it was for the cleansing it was for consecration. The priest would go in and he would purify the altar by sprinkling the blood. Now, in a technical sense, cleansing it does not make it clean as in spotted because spotlessly clean. Why? Because blood actually leaves a stain. So what we're looking at is the notion is that the altar is that place of interaction with God and man. Man Kind is interacting with God. Therefore, the stain of blood purifies you and gives you, at that intersection with God and man, purification. In Leviticus, there are all kinds of laws for cleansing and purification for things and people. That's why in your one-year reading, you get stumped in Leviticus. If you're telling people, let's read through Leviticus in a year and do devotional thoughts then everything is going to be purified with blood and God is holy and you are not and you are in trouble. That's what Leviticus is going to say to us. If a, leper is clean, if a leper is healed, he must be immediately ceremonially cleansed. That's what happens in the Old Testament. All throughout Leviticus, purification. And it took place through blood. The need for purification is all the way back in what we believe is the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job. And just... 
as you're there, right, if, as you are in your place in Hebrews, listen to Job. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Why? For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job made purification by an offering for the sins of his kids. Wow. That's a long time ago. So, the word purification has a ceremonial type uh, understanding to it. However, you need to look further than just a ceremony. The ceremony was actually the theater and the background for God coming to meet man. So I'm building a case. Are you all with me? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this very applicable to you in a few minutes. But you've got to understand purification in order for you to catch this. Ceremony was a platform where God communicated to man and man with God. Ceremonial cleansing has the idea of access to God. It has the idea that who, who we are and what we are is being presented to God and the who and the what must be acceptable. The who and the what must be acceptable. It implies a role of a priest and the ministry of a priesthood. It was a priest that made the sacrifice, that brought the cleansing and provided the access so that the people could come before God. So you read the words. He made purification for sins. After having purified us from our sins, having purged us from our sins, he sat down. And I want you to understand that behind that is a gigantic understanding of the entire Old Testament. I don't have time to track you all the way through it. But with those words, it is massive. It is a massive understanding for you to look to the page and see those words after making purification for sins. So the Old Testament economy is standing behind those words. The writer will spend multiple chapters talking about that which brings that cleansing to the worshiper. And we're going to preach it. In the book of Hebrews, soon. So, there are two assumptions that you need to think about when we look at the word purification. Y'all ready? Two assumptions. You cannot miss this. I will say it this strongly. You dare not miss what the two assumptions are when you read the word purification. You can't miss this. The first one is this. God is perfectly holy. There will be no need for purification if the one who is that we're interacting with was not holy. But he is. He's thrice holy. One holy is not enough. Two holies, that's not enough. It took the seraphim three. It, it is the Hebrew of emphasis to tell us that the most important part about who God is, he is holy. Holy. So, there's no meandering haphazardly into the presence of God. It cannot happen. God is perfect in purity. Therefore, those who are not pure do not have inherent access to this holy God because we have impurity. We are impurity. So, there's no meandering into His presence. So, as this text talks about purification, there's something that is directly stated about God. God is holy. 
He cannot abide with sin. He cannot abide with impurity. He cannot abide with uncleanliness. This is something that we need to reemphasize in our day, don't we? We need to be very careful with this amorphous, sentimental, I need someone out there somewhere to love me. It's the way we think God acts and thinks. If I just had one person who would love me, just one person out there to be committed to me, do you really believe that a thrice holy God ever thinks that way? Do you? So, we have this view that he's wringing his hands up in heaven, just hoping that someone will give him some attention. A.W. Tozer said, 20th century America has put God on welfare. You ever read A.W. Tozer and thought how much, how relevant what he said back that many years ago is relevant today? We, we got this mentality that he's just waiting for someone to come along and have fellowship with him. Folks, listen to me. The God of the Bible is perfectly holy. His holiness is so transcendent and his purity so immense that even angels who have never sinned, when they come into the, his presence, they have to cover their eyes. These burning ones in Isaiah chapter 6 cannot look upon Christ seated upon his throne because of the transcendency of his nature. Sinless seraphim cannot look directly into the face of God. So what of us sinful people in that regard? With two wings, they cover their feet. Why do they do this? Because earthiness cannot have contact with this God. You can't do it. Here we have people on earth. That's us. If, unless you haven't figured this out, Adam was made from the dust of the earth, and Eve was made from his side. So the fact of the matter is we're both made from dirt. And earthiness can't have that kind of contact with God without a mediator. So people who are full of sin through and through, do not have the inherent ability to come before this God. The whole of us is sick. Our sin has made a barrier. He is holy and we are not. That's the first assumption. God is perfectly holy. The second one is this. It implies something about sin. Sin is defilement. Are you all listening? You're not going to hear that on the news. You're not going to hear that on the media. But you hear that from the word purification. The need for you to be purified. That Christ would actually purify for us. Make purification for our sins. Speaks to the fact that sin is defilement. is corruption. The world doesn't like that kind of talk. When it comes to moral values, our world is absolutely upside down. William F. Buckley said this. You know the world is morally upside down when a 21-year-old can be out on his father's boat in the Pacific Ocean fornicating with his girlfriend, but what the real sin to the world is that he throws his beer can, empty beer can, into the ocean. You know that we're in trouble when that's the attitude of the world. You know we're in trouble. We have lost our sense of sin as defilement. We don't like to hear of sin that it has a stain. We... We don't want to talk about sin as a stain or a pollution, as defilement. But there is complicit in the idea of purification that I should have a sense of guilt and shame before God. Yes, if there is anything that our culture pushes back on, it's the idea that we might be guilty or that we should have shame. The testimony of your conscience, according to Romans 1, indicates that you ought to feel guilty and you should feel shame. 
we should think about this. I don't feel good about myself because I'm corrupted. I am polluted. I am stained. The law of God also bears witness to that truth. No amount of Oprah or Dr. Phil can relieve me of the stain of guilt on my soul. You're doing no one a favor in attempting to minimize inhumanity the stain of sin. We do humanity no favors whatsoever. Anytime we minimize defilement, the biblical teaching is that sin is defilement. For some of you who follow literature or you like plays, all you need to think about is Lady Macbeth. She's doing all she possibly can to wash that spot off her hand, but it will not go away. All the fragrances of Arabia cannot sweeten this little hand. Listen to me. Sin is defilement. There would be no need for purification from Christ. There's no reason for the Lamb of God who was there before the world was ever created to come down to this earth and make purification if sin is not a big deal. Sin is a big deal. It's defilement. It's pollution. It's corruption. And it separates you from God. The soiled soul and the defiled mind and the corrupt flesh all cry guilty. Conscience says God sees and God knows. God cannot and will not have you like you are. Sin not only contaminates us, it defiles us from a proper relationship with God. So when you see that word purification, the implication is that there is a holy God who cannot abide with impurity. Sin has stained our souls. I am barred from God in a current state without Christ. If you're not a Christian this morning, you've never trusted in Christ, the one who purified us from our sins. You need to understand something. In a real authentic sense, I can tell you this morning that God loves you. For God so loved the world. And he desires your good. But yet in an equal sense, I can say to you this morning, if you're outside of Christ... If you haven't trusted in that particular purification for your sin, you stand before Christ today defiled. That's the teaching of the Bible. You stand before God as corrupt. You stand before God as polluted. You are unclean and not fit to go into his presence. In this state, you are not able to receive blessing, but only a curse. The text says, having made purification. Notice it doesn't say, is making purification. It doesn't say, we'll make purification. It says, it's having made. Y'all understand that the purification has been made. Y'all, surely you see that in the text. The writer is telling us that this Jesus, who is the revelation of God, heir of all things, agent of creation, radiance of his glory, exact representation of his being, upholds all things in this world by his divine power, is the one who came past tense, and made purification for sin. So as the Lord Jesus Christ was hung, suspended on a cross between heaven and earth, he was actually doing something there. He was doing something there. As he's pouring out his life's blood, he's doing something. As he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is doing something. He is making purification for sin. He's doing something there which is an act of a priest offering up a sacrifice so that God is once and for all propitiated and so that we are once and for all reconciled to God by that purification. 
forgiven of your sins, remembering your sins no more. The stains have been removed. The pollution of your sin has been purged. We are cleansed through the offering of Jesus Christ once and for all. And I call that good news. That's why it's the gospel. It's God's spell that he weaves in the heart of humanity and purges you from your sins. If there's anything we know about ourselves, it's the fact that we are indeed guilty and we are defiled. What we need more than anything else is to be clean. So when Christ offered himself, he made purification for our sins. And the glory of the gospel is this. Our defilement and our stains and our corruption can be washed away. All because of what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. Making himself a sacrifice. And some of you will say, Pastor, you don't know the depth of my sin. First response to that is you don't know the depth of our great Savior. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. He's a much greater Savior than you are a sinner. I want to remind you that some of you would say, well, Pastor, you don't know the depth of my corruption. You don't know how deep pollution runs in the stream of my heart. We know that there's not one spot of our being that is not stained by sin. That doesn't have the fingerprints of the enemy on us. But I want you to think of this today. Don't think for a minute that you're some kind of super sinner. For the sake of argument, let's say that you're in that category this morning by yourself. You're a unique super sinner. I want to remind you that Christ made purification for the deepest, darkest stains. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What could avail to wash it away? Look there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. No darkness, no stain too deep. That's a sacrifice of the Son of God, can't wash it away. That's the gospel. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There's not one thing that you can say that you have done that Christ cannot in turn respond. My blood can make the foulest clean. Praise God for the truth. So if you think you're this unique super sinner, remember this morning that we have a unique super savior. He can cleanse you from your sins. You need him right now. You need him today. And furthermore, saints, you need him for the rest of your life. You need him today. If you are in Christ, you are free from the stain of guilt that defiled you. His atonement purified you. It has been provided. Not will be provided or is providing. It has been provided. He died once for all. Not that meaning he died once for all to accomplish all that was necessary to save you from your sins. He did this. That's why he cried on the cross to tell us die. It is finished. He purged us from our sins. I hope this helps you See the glory of the Son of God this morning. I know the other parts are amazing. Heir of all things. Agent of creation. 
radiance of the glory of God. Exact imprint of his image. He is the very essence of God. Upholds all things by the word of his power. But you can't know him apart from after making purification for sins. There's no no knowing him and truly loving him without what he did when he came down from heaven and was born in Bethlehem to become our sacrifice, our priest, our prophet, right? Our savior. So, he shines so bright in his glory for us sinners when we understand that he suffered and bled to save sinners from sin. He died on the cross in your place And on your behalf. It was substitutionary atonement. Not, according to the Bible, dying for the possibility of people to be saved. But dying for the actuality of you to be saved. He took your place. He he died as your substitute. It's called penal substitutionary death. He was bearing the penalty of your sin on himself For you. And we have to say glory. Don't we? You like the book of Hebrews? There was a dear saint at Cropwell when I went through Hebrews. And every time she would leave the church, she'd say, Pastor, I love the book of Hebrews. I hope you grow to love what the Word of God is teaching. Okay, from your perspective... If you're going to have this purification, all of your work is excluded. Y'all listening? By the works of the law will no man be justified before God. Let's make this clear. You cannot be right with God by works. No matter what the Catholics say, no matter what Church of Christ says, there is no being right with God with works. It's impossible. So... There's no, you you can't come to him with your work, nor can you make a self-atonement. You can't do this. There's no place for an incomplete atonement. There's no place for one that needs to be repeated. There's no place for a bloodless mass. Because this has been accomplished. Purification has been made. (laughs) Do I believe in purgatory? Yep, he purged you once for all from your sins forever. You don't die and go to some kind of holding place and figure out who's the best. That's bogus. That's not Bible. That's telling a lie to people. Jesus Christ either purged you from your sins on Calvary, and if he didn't, you don't have a half a hallelujah chance of going to heaven. No way possible to go to heaven apart from purification from Christ. So the Son's infinite nature gave to his human sufferings infinite value so that our guilt might be removed, our sins might be forgiven, our conscience might be purged. Aren't you thankful for the marvelous, effectual purging of the Lord Jesus Christ who took our place and bore our sins in his body on the tree? Atonement is complete. Nothing can be added. It's not Jesus plus anything. Simple gospel math. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Simple gospel math. The sinless son purged our sin, even the sin that you have yet committed. Well, that sets hard on you, doesn't it? 
All of your sin was in the future when Christ died for you. Wake up. It's past, present, and future. He paid it. Oh, you do know the Baptist hymn book. <laughs> Why did he do this amazing work? He did it to purge you from your sins and to make you clean. Make atonement. Satisfy the divine wrath of God against you. To remove guilt. For Christ, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.18, suffered once for our sins. Hear the magnitude of this verse. For Christ suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust. Maybe you don't understand that terminology. The righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He took your place that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. There's the gospel. Who could have met the demands of God's perfect law but the perfect Son of God? Who but the eternal Son, very God of very God, could satisfy the law that demanded your condemnation? Who but God could turn justice, your former enemy, into your best friend? Who but God or when the Son of God condescended to this earth to die for sinners, we'll learn in Hebrews that the that the Sinai that Sinai was actually silenced, and his perfect righteousness met every demand of holy justice. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in First Peter chapter one. Turn to this one, please, and we're almost done. First Peter chapter one. Verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Or underscore verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Aren't you thankful? For many years, many times, sacrifices were offered up. But all the blood of the bulls and goats and calves could never remove that bitter cup. Until the spotless Lamb of God came down from heaven... He himself, bearing our sin. He's our sin bearer to ransom us. There was no way that sinners could ever be clean apart from that. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, folks, you ready? Biblical salvation means trusting Jesus Christ so completely that if his death for you and purging you from your sins was not enough to take you to heaven, then you're not going. That, that's how much you must be committed to what Jesus did on the cross. That's how much you must be committed to him to purge you from your sins. If Jesus Christ doesn't take you to heaven based on the fact that he's forgiven you of your sins and paid the debt, then you're just not going to go. You'll just be damned to eternal hell. 
That's how much commitment you have to do. Now you say, well, that's pretty strong. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to that which we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Listen to me, church family. We can't lose lose the forest for the trees. The warning is coming in chapter 2, verse 1. Notice it says, therefore. It's there for a reason. It's to tell you what's before it. And now we're building a case based on who Jesus is and what he has done. Listen, church, don't move away from Jesus. He's not a way to be saved. He's not the best way to be saved. He is the only way to be saved. And if you move away from Christ, you have no hope of eternal life. You have no hope to have your sins forgiven. Absolutely none. You can't drift away. you got to stick to Christ and Him alone. Only Jesus saves. Let's declare that plainly. He's not a good way to heaven. He's not the best way. He's the only way. Do you know Him today? Has He purged you from your sins? Has He purified you from... Have you believed into Christ? That's John's words. Believing is always into Christ and His person. Let's pray. Great God, may believers be emboldened to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Not just any Christ, but the Christ of the Bible. What the Scripture says to us regarding who He is and what He has accomplished. Father, for believers, help us not to drift away. Not to move a centimeter away from Christ and Christ alone, saving us and purifying us from our sins and forgiving us. What he did on the cross was essential, purging us, purification for our sins. For lost people, Lord, Lord, I don't think the gospel, in my opinion, from my own mouth can be any clearer. We have to be purified from sin, and Jesus is the only one that can do that in order for us to interact with our God and be saved, be reconciled. We can't have peace with God apart from Jesus. Lord, may you turn a heart toward you today. Would you move them from a place of unbelief to belief? Would you take the scales off their eyes so that they clearly see the beauty and glory of Jesus, that he's the only one that can purify them from their sins, that he did so on the cross And he was gloriously resurrected as a signature that he had accomplished all that God asked him to accomplish. He's alive. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Lord God, help us. Help us today. Lord, if there's a lost person here, may they come to Jesus today. In your name I pray. Amen. Stand and sing together, just as I am. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to I'm desperate to be rescued. I come in.
praise God just as I am. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe upon his name. Have you received him? For by grace we have been saved by faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That whoever confesses with his mouth the Lord Jesus and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One more verse. Let's sing. And that verse we're going to sing is, Just as I am, and waiting not. Folks, I guarantee you there are people in hell today. That's right. That waited. Don't do it. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to thee whose blood can cleanse I come broken to be mended, I come wounded to be healed, I come desperate to be pursued, I come empty to be filled, I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb, and I'm welcome with open arms, praise God, just as I am. Second Peter tells us that all that Christ has done for us should give us a joy that is absolutely inexpressible. No matter what happens in the Middle East, if the Son of God has purified you from your sins, you're going to be all right. No matter what. That's the glory of redemption and salvation. Rescued from danger. Price, ransom, paid. On your way to heaven. The world can't take that away from you. That's awesome, isn't it? We should live like it. We should live like it. Amen? Amen? All right. You may be seated. Brother David is going to lead us in a prayer time for our missionaries uh, headed out. And uh, pray for me. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving now to drive three hours for a funeral. All right? So, and pray for me big time because Don's going with me the whole way. Huh? I need your prayer. God bless you, church family. Uh, Blake's going to lead us in our uh, mission endeavor to Asia. And, uh, and Chris, we're, we're offline, correct?